You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, the, uh, the title of our message as we finish up Galatians chapter 3 is th- that may not mean what you think it means. It may not mean what you think it means. Anybody else here old enough to remember the movie Princess Bride from the 80s? Well, I hope you do because I, I talk about it all the time. It's, it's my, one of my favorite classic all-time movies. You know, I mean, you remember in the movie, uh, whenever things didn't go as planned, Vanzini, who's, who's like the, 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 the evil mastermind, the criminal mastermind, what did he always say? He'd always say, inconceivable. And, and finally, it gets to the point that Inigo Montoya is like, you know, that word, you keep using that word, but I do not think that word means what you think it means. Well, in a sense, that's Paul's message to the Galatians. He's saying, you know what, that may not mean what you think it means. Now, what's he talking about? Well, keep in mind, Paul is dealing with, with, a, with a group called the Judaizers. We've been talking about the Judaizers for the past few weeks. And, and the Judaizers was this, was this group who preached that in order to be saved, you needed to be under the, the, the covenant of Abraham and under the covenant of Moses. Uh, but this morning, Paul's going to show them that, that the covenant of Abraham and the covenant of Moses may not mean what they thought it meant. And so now as we go back to verses 15 and 16, Paul makes that point. His point is that the promise of Abraham and the law of Moses may not mean what you think it means. And so again in verse 15, he says, To give a human example, brothers, even uh, with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, and it does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is is Christ. Now, listen, the biggest issue facing the, the, the church of the first century was, was not gay marriage, it wasn't, it wasn't you know, conspiracy theories by, by groups like QAnon or whatever, and it was not COVID. Those were not the biggest issues. By far, the, the biggest issue facing the church of the first century was over Gentiles getting saved. You know, you know can, can a non-Jewish person get saved? And if so, how? And, and, and do, they, do they need to come through, through the law? You know, do, do they need to convert to Judaism? Or can they just come as they are and simply trust in Jesus? Now listen, the truth is, is that, as I mentioned before, you and I are saved the same way that Abraham was saved, and that is through faith, by faith. But that's not what the Judaizers thought. Now again, the Judaizers was, was, this, was this weird sort of hybrid group that, that on the one hand believed that, that, that you needed to believe in Jesus in, you know, for, for salvation, but on the other hand, they also believed that you need to, 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 to follow and keep the laws of Moses for salvation. And so they were like this mixed group. And that's why Paul points out last week that we're saved the same way that Abraham was saved, by faith. He, he, he quoted from Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. But now this morning, Paul, almost as if he's anticipating the, the reaction of, of the Judaizers, as if the Judaizers might say, okay, fine, sure, Abraham was, was, was made righteous by faith, but you know what? When, when the new covenant came, when, 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 when the law came under Moses, well, then the way that you got saved changed. And now you're no longer saved by faith. Now instead, you're saved by keeping the law of Moses. That's what they would have said. And so in chapter 3, what we have is a contrast between the promise of Abraham versus the covenant of Moses. The promise of Abraham versus the law of Moses. And so first of all, Paul is, is showing us that, that, 
God called Abraham uh, to, to leave his, his family behind and, and, and leave uh, his land behind and, and go to a land that he did not know. And God promised to, to make Abraham into a great nation. And Abraham believed God. But then centuries later, then Moses comes on the scene and God called Moses to, to deliver his people out of their slavery to Egypt. So you have two different men with two different covenants. You see, Abraham made his covenant based on promise, the promise of God. Whereas Moses, his covenant was made with God based on the law. Two different people, two different covenants. With Abraham, the emphasis was, was on God. Uh, whereas with, with Moses, the emphasis was on the people. For example, when God first spoke through, uh, to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I will, will, will make you a great nation. I will, will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. You see, the, the emphasis was on God. Really, the emphasis was on the promise of God. And let me say this, God's promise was unconditional. His promise was unconditional, meaning that there was nothing required of Abraham to do this. The only thing he was required to do was either believe the promise or reject the promise. But there was nothing required of him. Whereas with Moses, on the other hand, that the emphasis was not on what God would do, rather it was on what would man do. It was on what the people would do. The emphasis was, was thou shalt not do this, and thou shalt not do that. Or thou shalt do this, and thou shalt do this. It was on, the emphasis was on what the people would do. And so now it's with all that in mind that again now in verse 15, Paul picks it up and says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. That's true, right? I mean, you know, if you buy a house or, or if you go to the dealership and buy a car, you know, once you sign on the dotted line, it's final. I mean, you can't get out of it and you cannot make changes to it, right? It's not like you can go to the dealership and just say, hey, you know, I know I'm under contract with you for the next five years, but you know, that, that Kia Soul that, that we're under, under contract with, I didn't want a Kia, Kia Soul. What I wanted was a Mercedes S-Class, and I want it for the same price. In fact, cheaper. No, you, you can't do that. Once you've signed the dotted line, it's final. And so here's Paul's point. Paul's point is, is, is simply this. He's saying that, you know what? If, if it's true that man-made contracts are irrevocable, then how much more the promise of God? How much more the covenant of God? Now, you know, the terms of your, of your contract with the auto dealership might be five years, but the terms of God's promises are eternal. And that's where the Judaizers went wrong. You see, the Judaizers thought that when the law came, then that meant that, that the promise of Abraham had ceased. That now that the law came, Abraham's promise was, 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 was canceled. It was, it was terminated. And so Paul's saying, no, no, no. He's saying, you know what? This may not mean what you think it means. He's saying, you know what? The, the, the promises of God are eternal. And so one does not negate the other. One doesn't cancel out the other. And so now with that, Paul then quotes, I'm sorry, says in verse 16, he says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, saying your offspring, who is Christ. Now, 
if you're reading from the New King James Version, yours is worded a little bit differently. It might say seed instead of offspring. But this, this word seed or, or offspring, it's the Greek word sperma. And, and, and in this case, it's in the singular. And so Paul, under the, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was kind of correcting uh, the, the typical way that the Jewish people would have interpreted the verse that Paul was quoting. By the way, Paul's quoting from Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. Genesis 22, 18, where it says, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, typically, the Jewish people would, would have read Ju- Genesis twenty two eighteen, and they would have interpreted that they themselves, the, the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel, that they themselves were the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. But what Paul's saying is, is that no, the real fulfillment uh, of God's promise to Abraham wasn't the Jewish people, it wasn't the nation of Israel, no, the real fulfillment was Jesus himself, that he, the Christ, is the offspring. He's the fulfillment of the promise. He's the savior of the world. And, and, and by the way, he's not just the, the, the savior of the Jewish people, but, but he quotes in, in Genesis twenty two eighteen 18, that through your seed, Jesus, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He's not just the savior of the Jewish people. He's the savior of all people, of the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so now, as we pick it up in verses 17 and 18, now Paul reiterates that that the law doesn't cancel the promise. The law doesn't cancel the promise, verse 17. He says, this is what I mean. Uh, The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, first of all, there's a problem here. And the problem is that that Paul says that the law came 430 years after God made his promise to Abraham. Now, the problem with that is that if you know the book of Genesis, you know that actually it was 645 years after uh, the promise of Abraham that the law came. God made the promise in Genesis chapter 12, and then 645 years later, the law came. So now you're thinking, well, maybe the, the, the promise doesn't mean what I thought the promise means. Now listen, it's true that, that, that God first gave his promise to Abraham 645 years before the law even came, but then that promise was, was repeated verbatim to Isaac, and then later on it was repeated to Jacob. In fact, the last time that promise was, was mentioned, uh, it, it was given to Jacob just before Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt 430 years before God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, and then God gave Moses the law. So what it should have said is that 430 years after the last time that promise was given, then the law came. But you see, what Paul's saying is this. He's saying, listen, when the new covenant, that is this this, this law, the, the law of Moses, when the law of Moses came, the law did not nullify the covenant of Abraham. The law did not cancel God's promise to Abraham. That's really what was happening is, is now both were in action. Both were active. Both were in play. And so it's interesting. As I mentioned, God's promise to Abraham was unconditional. There was nothing Abraham could do to deserve it. You know, again, it was all based on God. God said, I will, will, will give you the land. I will, will make you a great nation, and I will bless all the nations of the earth through your seed. It wasn't about anything that Abraham would do. It was all about everything God did. It was an unconditional promise. Whereas, 
God's covenant with Moses was conditional. His, his covenant with Moses was conditional. It was, it, it, was, it was all dependent on what the people did. For example, if the people obeyed God, then God would bless the people. But if the people disobeyed God, then he would curse them and drive them out of the land. And so now we might wonder, well, well how, how can both promises be true at the same time? I mean, how, could, how, how can God keep his unconditional promise to Abraham to give them the land perpetually, to keep them in that land, but at the same time, how can God enforce his covenant that he made with Moses to kick the people out if they ever sinned? And by the way, they did sin. Lots of times. <laughs> and so how can both be true? How can he keep them in the land and kick them out of the land all at the same time? We see God kept his promise in two ways. Number one, he kept his promise that, that whenever the people sinned, he did kick them out. He drove them out just like he promised Moses. He drove them out, but when they repented, he brought them back in. And so he kept them in the land by allowing them to repent. Whenever they repented, he brought them back in. That's number one. But then number two, God kept his promise by always allowing a remnant to be left in the land to always allow a small remnant of the people. You know, every time that we read in history that the, that the Jewish people were driven out of the land, you know, uh, whether it was by the empire of Babylon in 586 BC or earlier in time in 722 BC when the Assyrians came in and drove them out, we read how, how yeah, th th many of them were, were taken captive, many of them were, were, were pulled out of the land and they were brought to a foreign land to be slaves and to be prisoners, but we also read that there was always left a small remnant of the people in the land. Therefore, meaning Abraham's uh, promise was always fulfilled. The people, the, even, albeit a small remnant of them, there was always a, a representation of God's people in that land, thus keeping Moses' promise and Abraham's promise. And now in verses 19 through 22, Paul points out that the, the purpose of the law may not be what you think it is. You see, the, the, the Judaizers thought the purpose of the law was to make you righteous. But in verse 19, Paul says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the, the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, the, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, well, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so Paul says that the law was put in place through the angels by an intermediary, you know, by, by a mediator. Now, think of it this way. Moses was the mediator, and then, but it was given. It was appointed through the angels. And so what it's saying is, is, that, is that the law came third hand. The law came third hand. First, God gave it to the angels. Then the angels give it to Moses. And then finally, Moses gave it to the people. And so the law came third hand. But when, when, when God made his promise to Abraham, God spoke directly to Abraham. But now what's the purpose of the law? Well, the purpose of the law is, is, is verse 19. It says again, why then the law? He says, it was added because of transgressions. I like the way a paraphrase of the Bible called the Living Bible renders it. It says, so what is the law for? It's, it's to show men how guilty they are of breaking God's laws. In other words, listen, 
The law was not given to save us from our sins. No, it was given to, to, to expose our sins. It was given to reveal our sins. And ultimately, it was given to, to reveal to us that we need someone to save us from our sins. We need a savior from our sins. The Bible says in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The law exposes sin. The law reveals sin. The law makes sin known. That's the purpose. So what's the purpose of the law? He says it was added for transgressions. It was given to reveal sin. But then it goes on to say, until the offspring should come. Who's the offspring again? It's not the Jewish people. It's Jesus. It was given to reveal sin, to expose sin, until the Savior of sin came. Until the Savior of your sins came, until Jesus came. Uh, Dwight Moody used to say, the law tells me how crooked I am, but grace is what straightens me out. <laughs> the law reveals my sin, but it's grace that, that forgives me of my sins. And so uh, what, what this is saying is, is that what the law could not do, in fact, what the law was powerless to do, which is make you righteous, the promise of faith could do. The promise of faith had the power to do. So here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you know what? Okay, Jew Jewish believers, you know, those of you that, that hold to this idea that it's the law of Moses that somehow makes you righteous, he's saying, listen, that, that's, that's not God's way. No, God's way is Abraham's way. The way God makes you righteous is by faith. By faith, by, by, by believing in the promise of God. And again, the promise of God was Jesus. The promise was Jesus. The, the, yes, the law reveals your sin. It reveals you, you need to be forgiven of your sins. But the promise is, is that there's a Savior who will forgive your sins. And when you believe in the promise of God, you will be saved. And now finally, verses 23 to the end. Paul points out that, that, that the promise of God may be more than you even think it is. And so in verse 23, he says, Now, before faith came... We, held, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith was revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For, for in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were as baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, well, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs to, according to the promise. And so Paul says back in verse 24 that, that, that the law was our guardian. Now, the old King James Version, you know, with the these and the thous, the old King James Version? In the old King James Version, it, it, it renders it schoolmaster instead of guardian. Uh, other translations use the word tutor. But this comes from the, the, the original Greek word pedagogos. Now, this is just a, a pedagogos was, was, was a person who, who was in charge of your child's education from the time they were seven years old till they were 18 years old. And so this person was in charge of, of the general development of, of, of your child. And so it was their job to, to make sure your, your kids were dressed for school in the morning. And it was their job to, to escort them and walk them to school in the morning. And then when school was out, then it was their job to go and pick them up and walk them home. And it was also their job to make sure that they did their homework. So in a sense, they, they were sort of a nanny. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. And so this, this would have dialed up in, in the Greek mind, as, as, as they're listening to Paul say this, a very negative connotation. They would have been like, man, yikes, I, I have bad memories of my pedagogos, of, of my tutor. 
And that's exactly the reaction Paul's hoping for. You see, Paul is hoping that, that when they hear him say that the law is a tutor, that they hear him say the law is a guardian, the law is your nanny, a, a, a temporary schoolmaster that, that, that's designed to take you from point A to point B, uh, point A being you know, the beginning of your life, point B being the, the cross of Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying that the, the law's role, the law's purpose is to take you from the sin in your life and ultimately bring you to a new life in the Savior from your sins. To take you from sin to a new life following the Savior of your sins. But then Paul's pointing out that, that just like the, the job of the tutor, the, the guardian, the schoolmaster, just like that's a temporary position. I mean, you're only in that role from the time a child's seven years old until they're 18 years old, but then you age out. When they're 18 years old, you're done with your job. And so just as that was a temporary position, uh, Paul's saying that, that the law of Moses was never intended to be a, a perpetual, ongoing covenant. It, it, it was meant to be temporary. You see, it was meant to, to reveal your sins and then reveal your need for, for forgiveness of those sins. But then once it led you to Jesus, its purpose was done. It was meant it, to be temporary. It was meant to, 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 to reveal your sins and then reveal you need Jesus. But once it led you to Jesus, it fulfilled its purpose. That's the purpose of the law. Now with that, let me give you the key word of this morning's passage. In fact, the key word of this chapter is the last word of this chapter. The very last word in chapter 3 is the word promise. In fact, this is a word, you may have noticed, it was repeated like nine different times. And so again, you have a contrast between the, 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 the promise versus the law. The, the promise of Abraham versus the law of Moses. And what Paul is pointing out is that there's nothing the law could do to nullify the promise of God. And in the same way, can I tell you, there's nothing you can do to cancel God's promise for you either. And in fact, I think a perfect example of that would be Abraham himself. You know, and, and, you know, God called Abraham. And, and, and the very fact that God called Abraham and, and that God made this promise to Abraham, that was an act of grace. In fact, let me illustrate that. Go back to Galatians chapter 3, verse 18, the last part of verse 18. In fact, we'll put it up on the TVs. But Galatians 3, 18, the, the last part of verse 18 says, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, Richard B. Hayes, a, a Bible commentator and language expert, points out that, that that verse could be translated this way. It could be translated, but God graced Abraham through promise. God graced Abraham through a promise. And, and how can it be translated that way? Well, because in the original, the word grace, charis or charis, is attached to the word promise. In other words, God making this promise to Abraham was an act of grace. And remember, when God made this promise to Abraham, it was unconditional, right? There was nothing that Abraham could do to deserve it. And likewise, there was nothing that Abraham could ever do to make God regret it, to make God wish that he never made the promise. And trust me, Abraham, he, he, he was not a perfect person. Abraham had his faults. Abraham had his failures. For example, uh, in Genesis chapter 20, and by the way, this actually happened two times in Abraham's life, once in Genesis chapter 20 and another time in Genesis chapter 12 uh, with, with two different kings. But in Genesis chapter 20, we read that, that basically Abraham got to a point in his life where he didn't trust that God was going to keep him alive long enough to see God's promise fulfilled in his life. So they come to the city, the city called Gerar. 
And they come there, and Abraham finds out that the king there has a reputation of being quite the ladies' man. And so what does Abraham do? Abraham tells his wife, Sarah, to lie and tell everybody that she's his sister. Ew. Everybody's like, really? I don't, I don't treat my sister like that. I mean, that's how you treat... Gross. Yeah, but you know, it's just, he says, you know, just lie and tell everybody that, that you're my sister. Now, why? Why did Abraham want her to lie? Well, because Abraham was convinced that the king of Gerar, his name was Abimelech, he, he was convinced that when Abimelech saw how beautiful Sarah was, now, by the way, keep in mind, Sarah at this point was, was like more than 90 years old. I'm not saying she had any work done. I'm just saying. And maybe she was using oil of olay, or maybe they called it back in that day oil of delay. But you know, she, you know, but 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 Abraham was just convinced that when 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 King Abimelech saw how beautiful she was, that King the King Abimelech was going to kill Abraham to take Sarah, and so he makes her lie, and he did this not once but twice with two different kings. Now on another occasion, Genesis chapter sixteen, we we read how how after God gave Abraham the, the promise that that. That, that he would not only have a son, but he'd have so many descendants that he'd become a father of nations. Now in Genesis chapter 16, more than 10 years, 10, 11 years go by, and, and frankly, Abraham is no closer to seeing God's promise fulfilled in his life than he was a decade ago when God first gave him that promise. And so now Abraham's getting frustrated, and he's talking to his wife, Sarah. And Sarah's like, you know, I got an idea. She's like, Abraham, listen, you know, maybe, you know, for, for God's promise to come about in our life, perhaps we need to help God out a little bit. You know, God helps those who help themselves. Wrong. <laughs> you know, but she, she's like, you know, maybe, maybe if we do our part, God can do his part. And so, Abraham, you know, I've been thinking that, you know, maybe if, if you had relations with my younger servant girl, Hagar, uh, you, know, th- you know, by the way, you know, because I own her, that means I own everything she has. And so if she has a son, basically that's my son. And so maybe that's how we can make God's promise happen. And Abraham, the big dumb dummy, you know, he goes along with it. In fact, I looked it up in the Hebrew, and this is literally how he answered. He answered back and said, Doki. Now, if you know the rest of the story, you know that, that, I mean, nothing came out of this that was any good. I mean, it created all sorts of problems. In fact, Hagar's son, Ishmael, later on became the forefather of all of the Arabic nations in the world. Now think of all of the strife, all of the pain, all of the turmoil that's existed between the Arabic nations and the Jewish nation even to this day. And this is a reminder that it's always a bad idea to rush the Lord when you should have been waiting on the Lord. And and so Abraham failed. He failed and failed and failed. He, He was not a perfect person. But you see, God's covenant with Abraham, God's promise to Abraham was unconditional. Why? Because the promise was not based on how good Abraham was. It was based on how good God is. And so although Abraham blew it again and again and again, we see that God was faithful again and again and again. Now I say this, because, you know, some of you have, have had some, some serial, uh, you know, uh, promise breakers in your life. Maybe you've had a spouse uh, who, who's, who's ran out on you. Maybe you've, you've had parents who've given up on you. Or you've had a person who, who you trusted. They promised they would always be there. They would never leave you. And yet they left you and they failed you. Or some of us, you know, we, we ourselves are, are serial promise breakers. I mean, isn't it true for, for most of us that there are, are, are these times in our lives where we promise that we would never do this again and, and never do that again, only to, to do this again and to do that again? 
you know, or, or, or we promise that, that you know, we're going to work harder and we're going to be better and, and we're going to make the necessary changes and we're not going to go back. And, and yet, as sincere as we were, as much as we meant it, we don't keep those promises. We fail the promise. And so as, as hard as this might be for us to wrap our heads around, let me say to you that God's promises cannot be nullified. Listen, it's not like God's going to look at you and, and, and see your sin and, and look at you and see your failure and all of a sudden change his mind. Listen, he knew what he was getting into when, when he first looked at you. He knew what you were like and everything that you were about even before the promise. So it's not like he's going to look at you and, and see how you blew it once again. You know, even though you told me never would or, how, or you promised that you would do this and you would never do that and, and, and you do this and you do that. He's not going to look at you and, and, and wish he could change his mind. Because listen, what the Apostle Paul wanted the Galatians to know and what he wants you to know is that nothing nullifies the promise of God. Because frankly, his promise is not based on how good you are. His promise is based on how good he is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. 